Good day, people. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome to a second episode. A second. And a very new episode of Back to Backwards. Back to Backwards. Got a very special guest today. His name is Cajun. Cajun. He's the CEO of Vector Space. Vector Space. They are dealing in artificial intelligence, natural learning processing, and all kind of other very hard to grasp, difficult shit. So pay attention. Pay attention. Good day, Cajun. Thanks for uh, joining today. A quick Google search shows that you're no rookie in the world of AI. A lot of stuff happened uh, during your career, uh, it seems. Can you give us some uh, background of yourself? Sure. I got started as a software contracting engineer, and that mainly had to do with finding patterns in data, building search engines, and analyzing manufacturing pharmaceutical pipeline data for Genentech. I was able to start a company and add Genentech as my first customer and continue with language processors, pattern matchers, and building small compilers. <clears throat> and then after that, uh, went into the worldwide wild west of Silicon Valley web. A lot of big corps, a lot of small corps, startups. Did that drill for about 10 years, made the commute. And then after that, the genome, human genome was sequenced for the first time in history. And that was a race that uh, happened between Craig Venter and Francis Collins, who ran the government side. And once that data was made available, uh, that was a lot of data that was, that needed to be interpreted, data related to the human genome. And obviously we know that's you know, why that's so important today. We, we're in the race to find drug targets, billion dollar drug targets. And that included analyzing data related to genes, primarily expression values. But what we found was that although you could cluster genes based on similar expression values, just like you can cluster stocks based on similar trading patterns, you can't determine why those stocks or genes are related. We had, uh, top genomicists just not able to determine or interpret why genes shared relationships with one another mm. or with pathways or with other diseases or other drugs. So the only thing to do was to analyze human language surrounding genes. That human language is embodied in text, scientific papers. Okay, so and this is where the natural language processing comes in. Yes, exactly. And in order to process human language, we have inside our brains internal natural language processors. And we want to mimic the, we've always wanted to mimic the ability of humans to find patterns in data, but especially mm -hmm. um, mimic the way humans process information and information as language or symbols. And in order to in order to successfully do that, to some extent, you've got to study a little bit of neuroscience, a little bit of computational cognition, a little bit of linguistics, and of course, computer science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language understanding, and basic principles of natural language processing. 
And when you look at everything combined there, you begin to understand that there's more intelligence built into human language than there are uh, in cat pictures or things like that. Yeah, so yeah, I can imagine. If you want to make predictions, you're going to want to analyze human language, whether it's your own or language that's a part of worldwide corpora, maybe repositories of scientific literature, for example, the 1,500 new scientific papers that are published every 24 hours at the National Library of Medicine related to life sciences. Uh, we take those kinds of things and process those to extract hidden relationships. Uh, and it makes sense because like, an, like a regular human being uh, wouldn't have the time in to like read all that stuff before he dies. That's right. You have to have a machine do it, really. And that's, data is increasing exponentially. And this is why we're in this industry. You know, data is like the unrefined crude oil. And data sets are like the refined gasoline. And because every industry is requiring more data, especially the life sciences and pharmaceutical industry today, biosciences, we are looking at an exponential explosion, a continued exponential explosion in data. And the need to analyze that data and extract patterns is just going to increase. And this applies to every industry. The cryptocurrency industry is filled with foundation of human language related to what a cryptocurrency does for example or human language surrounding an approved drug compound might point to a relationship to another approved drug compound that might apply to COVID-19 for example and that's why we provide data sets in that area so anyway um, we moved into the bioinformatics area in 2000 and then were invited to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in 2002 to work on breast cancer genes and their pathways, but also to work on radiation damage, chromosomal radiation damage to DNA and its effect on extending human lifespan. Uh, the genes that were analyzed that extended the lifespan of nematodes uh, had you might say analogs to human genes. And so we were tasked with understanding the relationships between those genes that extended the lifespan of nematodes and the lifespan of humans. And that has to do a little bit, or actually quite a bit with space biosciences and the need to protect human d DNA uh, during extended space travel. Because if you, if you can't do that, then you can't travel in outer space. A lot of what you're saying right now, I think to most of my listeners, it just sounds like science fiction, something that's very hard to grasp, um, mm -hmm. especially if we're talking about uh, uh, data sets. I mean, people easily can understand the importance of data and how it's exponentially increasing uh, to become more important by the day. So if we zoom in on vector space itself, um, if you just read on your website, it says, on-demand correlation matrix data sets for hidden relationship detection in data and training artificial intelligence systems. So for a lot of people, including me, this can be quite difficult to wrap your head around. So mm -hmm. for instance, if, you, if you're talking about the current COVID-19 crisis, could you slowly elaborate how vector space can contribute to the battle of this pandemic? Certainly. So when we were working at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in the Life Sciences Division, we wrote a paper with Michael I. Jordan and David Blee, along with Cyber Mian, 
And <clears throat> we analyzed genes that had hidden relationships to other genes in scientific literature related to extending human lifespan, like I mentioned earlier. The ability to look at an approved drug compound and then extract other approved drug compounds with hidden relationships in the context of COVID-19 or in the context of real-time uh, real information that gets published re mm -hmm. related to COVID-19, that's something that we actually excel at. We've been working on extracting hidden relationships between genes, drugs, and diseases for quite some time. When you look at a correlation matrix, when you look at a data set, you're usually going to see rows and columns. And if the rows are approved drug compounds and the columns are other approved drug compounds, where the language or scientific papers have been processed related to COVID-19, you might want to throw in a few encyclopedias in there, genomics encyclopedias and molecular biology encyclopedias. When you create correlations between drug compounds using natural language processing and natural language understanding, you're able to extract new or hidden relationships that might be useful. For example, might enable you to create a new hypothesis related to the application of a drug compound or make a new discovery related to repurposing a drug. And right now, that is the single most important thing we can be doing as the human, as, as the human species, realistically. Looking, the vac vaccines are going to take a while with this whole pandemic and COVID-19, the disease. If, if we can utilize an approved drug and repurpose it, that would be ideal at this point in time. The only way to do that is to analyze the scientific literature. And this is why the White House issued that call to action related to natural language processing surrounded scientific, surrounding scientific literature published related to COVID-19. The only way to analyze that literature is to use natural language processing and natural language understanding. And that means the only way to establish relationships between approved drug compounds and maybe their efficacy related to uh, ACE, the ACE2 inhibitor or the ACE2 protein. The only way we're going to make discoveries is to analyze this literature and then validate the relationships using additional scientific publications or literature or even a wet bench. Actually, that's going to have to be done, right? So, but it all starts with analyzing relationships between approved drug compounds and proteins or genes and other approved drug compounds. So we provide that data set right now. So having those data sets and having them processed, if you translate that in, in a very basic example, it's like having tens of thousands of scientists searching for the same solution, but all with different input. So you have like multiple Eureka moments uh, as a outcome that might help you to find the actual solution to the original problem. Yes, that's a very good way of describing it. So that sounds like something that the world would benefit from. Um, mm -hmm. But Vectorspace is a blockchain-based company. That's clear to us all. Uh, but why is a blockchain actually needed for all of this? Well, that's a pretty good segue from what we were talking about earlier here related to COVID-19. One word. I've got one word for you, and that is provenance. Uh, two words would be data provenance. 
understanding where your data came from, how it was handled, what kinds, what kinds of calculations, and what kinds of pre-processing steps were applied to it, what kind of algorithms, and where it was stored, date stamps, time stamps, who touched it, all those kinds of things relate to data lineage and data provenance. Mm -hmm. And the case in point happened just a few days ago when there was a problem with the data sets and their provenance related to a new drug compound that's been in the news. It's a political lightning rod, so we're not even going to mention it, but there was a lot of faulty research based on faulty data. The reason the data was faulty was because provenance and proper data lineage methods were not applied to it. Um, you, can, you can look at blockchain as a method for establishing data provenance. You can look at maybe a revision control system like Git or GitHub or RCS or whatever it is. You can look at that as some kind of way to control data provenance or data lineage. But for us, a simple hash of hash, hash a hash of a hash of a hash, that does it for us. Uh, we only need to leverage the hashing aspects of blockchain in order to have that backbone of data provenance. And that's why we, that's why we, we call a portion of our data engineering pro, uh, pipeline the data provenance pipeline. Okay. I think a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals, they are like really keen on the drug mm -hmm. compounds so they can, you know, ask crazy prices for them. So, yeah, wouldn't that also be hesitant for, for companies to use because they would give away their edge? No, no, the, the data provenance hash is unreadable, right? So it, it will not publicly map to changes made to the data set. So that's, that's one protection that we have in place. And we have many other protections because we deal with hedge funds and asset management companies that also would like to keep things black boxed. And, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Pharmaceutical companies, they do not want their data on the blockchain. And that's not what we're doing. We're simply using the blockchain's way of validating data with a hash to make sure that data sets don't have the same problem that they had last week um, when a lot of data was published related to this drug compound and it was faulty. So yeah, we use hashes of hashes to protect against that. And those hashes map to uh, internal sources and databases that uh, will just simply map to how the data was changed. And we, you know, we don't want to talk too much about it because those are proprietary details for our customers as well. So talking about customers, you clearly communicate partnerships with uh, Elastic or Microsoft, Amazon, CERN. I can imagine people being like skeptical when seeing like these huge industry names. Um, mm -hmm. Most companies dream of having partners like these. Mm -hmm. So could you elaborate on how concrete these connections are? Yeah, they're as concrete as the data sets. Uh, there's a reason why Procter & Gamble contacted us. There's a reason why Colgate-Palmolive did. There's a, reason, there's a reason why EDF, France's largest energy company, did. And Microsoft, Amazon, 
and Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and S&P Global, Bloomberg's alternative data group. And the list goes on. These companies, let's just start with Amazon and Microsoft. Amazon and Microsoft are battling it out right now, along with IBM and Google, to determine who are going to provide the world with AI methods, components, modules, solutions, platforms. Okay, if you're Amazon, mm -hmm. you you want to maintain your top rank in terms of a cloud provider because you're providing customers with AI solutions. Okay, so the only way, if if AI solutions are powered by data sets, what does that mean? That means you've got to provide your customers with the ability to test your AI systems using data sets. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to get those data sets? You're not gonna make them, make them yourself because you don't have the expertise to do it. You turn to vector space. That's why Amazon contacted us related to the COVID-19 data sets. They're looking to compete against Microsoft and Google and IBM. And the only way to do that is to offer your customers new and interesting data sets that then enable you to onboard them as AI and machine learning customers. And that's the battleground right now that these trillion dollar companies are fighting. It's AI. It's the AI and machine learning battleground. There's no bigger battleground right now. This is, this is why Google is providing cloud services. This is why Microsoft Azure exists. And this is why Amazon AWS exists right now because they're going, they know they're going to make more, Today, they're making most of their money from AI customers. One of their AI customers is Netflix, for example. So what you're looking at is distribution points that Amazon and Microsoft are using to attract AI customers, and the distribution points are made up of data sets. And we're providing them with data sets to do that. At the same time, they're introducing us to their customers that need data sets. And if you look at a group like S&P Global, the world's largest financial information provider, they're looking for data sets. Financial information today is based on data sets. So how are you going to get an edge? It's going to be by using data sets. If you're the world's number one financial information provider, S&P Global, guess what you need to do? Provide the world with data sets. And they just started doing that eight weeks ago. And they invited us to display our data sets. And this we're trying to, um, you might say, throttle. Because we're, we get a sign up every day of maybe multi, a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company somewhere. And that's enough for us to handle right now. We don't want to take on an influx and scale improperly. So that's kind of what we're doing with timing these uh, relationships and their introduction to their customers. Bloomberg Alternative, Bloomberg's Alternative Data Group, that same deal there. Union Bank of Switzerland, UBS, their evidence lab, they deal in data sets. That's it. So we are looking to, oh, and CERN, by the way. What happens when you collide two particles? When you make two particles collide? You make one hell of a bang. Yep. And that's all data. That data is stored in a data set. If you'd like to know more about the way your particles interacting, you might want to bring in scientific literature and validate those relationships or observations or propose new ones using 
natural language processing and natural language understanding applied to particle physics literature. So that's what we're doing with CERN. So you can see the data sets and Colgate Palmolive, um, they're on the chemical side, really, Procter & Gamble on consumer goods, same deal, uh, on the chemical side. So what we're looking to do is have a laser-like focus on revenue. So fastest path to revenue with any of these relationships here, uh, whether they're partners, collaborators, or outright customers. Um, we're looking at a fastest path to revenue. That's also where the role of the VXV token comes in place, I guess. Because if you're talking about revenue, are you uh, referring to revenue for the company vector space or is it uh, the valuation of the token? How does that work? I mean, for instance, if a Procter & Gamble, we want to create a new kind of toothpaste, I don't know what, and we need some, some insane data to, to make a product that the world has never seen before, how would that benefit your company in terms of revenue and the average VXV token holder? Sure. So every VXV token holder is a customer, number one. Number two, when you look at the number of data sets we can provide the world, it's in the billions. We usually say millions because that's, you know, we're probably not going to be offering billions anytime soon. We offer updates to each of those data set permutations. And we offer them at 99 cents per update per minute per data set permutation. I'll give you an example. We had a hedge fund consulting agency come to us. This is a firm that uh, builds tools for hedge funds and family offices. They said that they would like as many updates as we can provide them, or a set where we had pharmaceutical companies correlated to drug compounds, public pharmaceutical companies correlated to about 500 of them correlated to drug compounds. And as news came in, really, and in the context of COVID-19, and we told them we were able to provide them with 30,000 updates a month. And that would be $30,000 a month. We take 50% of that, and we buy VXV on the open market. We put a bid in on the open market of VXV. That VXV enables that customer to access tiered service levels data sets that they've chosen. If it's a single data set, then a tiered service level based on updates that data set. In addition to customized data sources, proprietary and otherwise. In addition to customized calculation. Why is the why are the revenues used to to purchase the tokens on the open market for the customer? Because we number one, we are looking to in the future have machines transact data sets and feature columns with one another. And in order to do that, these machine learning pipelines, data engineering pipelines, you're going to need to talk to one another via an open market order book if they want to trade with using VXV. Uh, number two would be that customers need to access data sets using VXV based on our VXV wallet-enabled API. That mm -hmm. means that your wallet address doubles as your API key. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can only access data sets and updates to those data sets if you have, in this case, uh, $15,000 worth of VXV in your wallet. Like, for instance, if you had a closed system where you make use of a, 
uh, internal blockchain you're only using it for for your clients if they are asking for it and you ask them to just pay you one cent per call and you are just internally using the tokens so that the client doesn't have anything to do with it yeah what's the the big difference between that scenario and this scenario where it's a a open market so where uh, customers can actually also buy uh, VXV tokens themselves for a possible discount. Yes, that's absolutely the case. That's the case today. Uh, it really depends on the customer. And we, our number one goal, of course, is to reduce friction, onboarding friction for every customer, mm-hmm. reduce the number of steps. And one way to do that is to offer them the option of being able to pay in fiat. And we do that using a Stripe, the Stripe interface that we have. And if they're interested in acquiring VXP on the open market themselves to access data sets, they can do that too. Mm-hmm. Retail traders can access data sets that generate smart baskets. So they can trade traditional market securities and cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. in a smart basket. So as a customer, you need VXV. However you acquire that VXV, whether it's based on an investment in the company or whether it's based, based on acquiring VXV on the open market or paying with fiat, everything gets converted to VXV. And those VXV tokens that you hold will connect directly to a data set permutation you have. And that data set will be yours and accessed using VXV. And the data set provenance and lineage is all tracked through VXV. Mm-hmm. So here lies quite an opportunity for a retail trader, you know, when this product catches on and the demand grows from, from the business side. Yeah, well, you know, that is the heart of another effort that we want to engage in related to data set design. And we're thinking of holding a contest related to data set design. Data set design is so important. It's the data sources you choose, the calculations you choose, and the rows and the columns that you choose. What, you, what do you want to be correlated to something else? What, what two things do you want to be correlated? Do you want public companies to be correlated to human genes? You can do that. Do you want chocolate chip cookies correlated to flowers? You can do that too. Do you want um, the periodic table of elements correlated to anything oh anything right so it's it's up to your imagination in terms of data set design now if you design a data set that's extremely valuable and profitable then you should take part in that profit related Mm -hmm. to that data set because you're the one that designed it you own the vxv attached to that data set only you can access that data set and you can resell that data set or you can lease it if you want if it's a high value data set you know, some of these data sets are going for 10 million bucks a pop. And that's without any updates. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting approach to to showcase what you guys are doing at Factor Space by letting the smart and bright minds from uh, the community to participate in, into creating their own data sets and to see how it works and to see, you know, how it can turn into something that, that other companies actually are going to use. Mm-hmm. Um you were talking about smart baskets. That's something I personally really like, uh, especially if you're talking about passive investing. And in your latest investor update, you announced mm-hmm. that Factor Space has signed a memorandum of understanding with LCX. 
uh, I'm still thinking about how will this benefit both companies besides offering a new product and building a use case. So the first thing to understand about a smart basket is why they're beneficial. And when you look at a, what's called a special situation, this is a financial term used in the asset management industry, hedge fund industry, when you look at or, or invent event driven investing industry or thematic investing industry. When you look at a special situation, it can be defined as the coronavirus before it was called COVID-19. If you understood that certain stocks are going to go up related to the coronavirus, you would have made a lot of money trading a coronavirus smart basket and it would have made people billions. This happens on a daily basis. A global event occurs and it's related to publicly traded vehicles somewhere around the world and some market around the world. Usually you can find a cryptocurrency or a traditional stock that's related to a global event. Um, <clears throat> you had a handful of cryptocurrencies in fact specialize in either donating to COVID-19 efforts or participating in the solution itself. We were one of them. And that would have been a basket related to the coronavirus as it was called back then, COVID-19, we called it today. So creating baskets related to, let's say there's an earthquake in Taiwan and you wanna create a basket of stocks and cryptocurrencies that have hidden relationships to semiconductors in Japan or in Taiwan and in the context of GPUs. Okay, there you've got your basket of stocks. You can now trade that. You can trade, if it's a crypt basket of crypto, you can trade that or you can hedge them against one another if you want. But there also lies a very big uh, like power at the men and women who create these baskets, if it even is possible to adjust them manually. Well, this is the, yeah, so this is the beauty of it. You've got human in, you've got human in the loop, what's called human in the loop methods involved mm -hmm. and if you look up human in the loop you can see that it's when you involve a human with an algorithm and right now you know yeah we don't have any man or woman algorithms but we do have just algorithms that will produce a vanilla or generic basket unfiltered and then you can filter that basket based on context controlled sentiment for example um it is this bad in the context of a or b or c you can also filter based on indicators. You can filter based on, based on liquidity, you know, market cap, whatever. Uh, you can create your own filters for a smart basket. You might want, for example, to generate a smart basket related to a global event, let's say COVID-19, and then you'd want to filter that basket in the context of inflammation or in the context of human genes or in the context of approved drug compounds or in the context of a phytochemical or plant compound. So you can see the different ways you can control the correlations between objects in the data set by data sources you choose and contexts that you choose. And that ultimately uh, enables you to create filters for the basket and curate them. As a market researcher, you want to curate a smart basket as fast as possible, but you want the algorithm to do all the heavy lifting and the hard work and take the shotgun approach for you. And then you want to be able to quickly um, either decide how to capitalize that, deploy it, or uh, filter it. So if I'm like zooming in on LCX, I mean, you can only trade 
cryptos as of for now within their upcoming terminal. So there would be like a basket that focuses on privacy coins. And there is a trigger because the United States, they they created a new law that forbids all privacy coins, for instance. So that would be something to utilize these smart baskets for. So you can, for instance, short uh, the privacy privacy coin smart basket. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, ultimately, there's a large hedge fund called Renaissance Technologies. A lot of people are familiar. It's one of the best performing hedge funds out there. Rentech, you know, they um, engage in algorithmic arbitrage and things like that. But they also have an internal medallion fund that they allow their employees to participate in. We're establishing the same thing, but we're doing it based on an investment club. And it's like a medallion smart basket. So it's going to be made up of short side, short side plays on the traditional side, on, in the traditional markets. We're going to go short on the traditionals for the next couple of years. And we're going to go long on cryptos we do due diligence on. But that's quite a space. bold statement. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're we you know, we're looking at uh, we've been through a few downturns in our lifetime. We've never been through a global downturn. But what we do know is that uh, the market has a very short memory and a lot of traders right now in the traditionals and in crypto have never been through a downturn before and they're just propping the markets up right now so we're looking to do short side on the traditionals but go long on crypto because we're looking at uh, cash coming back into crypto cash is going to need to be put to work this is what we've always said uh, it's always been true that when you experience a market crash or a downturn cash goes to the sidelines but people can't put their cash under mattresses you've got to put it to work and one of the best places to put it to work is in crypto so that's why we that's why we wanted a hedged smart basket, short on the traditionals and long on cryptos, and that'll be for our investment club. Okay, but I mean, like today, it's uh, as of recording, it's the eleventh of uh, of June. It, it it feels like quite a pivotal day once again, you know, with uh yeah, I mean, with uh financial markets, uh, well, slowly going over a cliff. Like, for instance, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they seem still a bit like correlated uh, because like people just flee into into cash. Absolutely. So the smart basket works based on special situations or events, which means that if you have got an issue or an equity that or let's say a crypto too, right? If you've got any one of those trading vehicles spiked down by 10%. 10% may not seem like a lot in the crypto sphere, but it is. If something spikes down, it's, all, it's just it's a function of time, right? If it spikes down in a couple of minutes, then there's a problem. If it spikes down 10% in a couple of minutes, there's a problem. What you want to do is create a basket of traditional stocks or cryptos related to whatever security that was or whatever crypto that was that just spiked down by 10% because there's some bad news coming probabilistically, let's say. Now, you want to trade that basket of stocks or cryptos related to that company that spiked down by 10%. We have got maybe uh, geez, uh, maybe about 80 basket trades for the year of, for, a one, for one year, for 12, a 12-month 12 period. So when the market 
when the market's negative, when there's negative sentiment that surrounds the market, along with a lot of uncertainty, we, you're going to have the market panic mode constantly, meaning that people are going to overreact and they're going to sell. And you want to be there to ex execute short side trades because you're going to, you're going to do, you're going to do better shorting than you will going long in a market like this with all this uncertainty. And that's why we want to, yeah, that's, that's why we're pretty confident about uh, our short strategy on the traditional side. So as I'm hearing, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Can you tell us something about the Vector Space team? What kind of people are in, involved on a day-to-day -day base? Veterans, industry veterans, software engineer, industry veterans, machine learning veterans. And we've also got a few interns that uh, are here to learn and boost their careers. Uh, they know that uh, we've made other interns in the past millionaires and have boosted their careers. They've gone on to work for companies like Google and so forth. So we've, we've got a diverse team in terms of experience and know-how and uh, international location at this point. We're pretty much decentralized, I think, mm -hmm. like a lot of companies uh, based on the pandemic these days, too. But we've got about five engineers on the machine learning side and on the DevOps side, a couple of, couple of people servicing that. We've got our CTO, Mike Muldoon, and our chief scientific officer, Raf Podowski, who actually specializes in um, macrophage bacteria and infectious diseases. And we've also got a lot of corporate development happening now. Uh, this would be customer relationship management, client relationship management. We've got trading and execution happening, uh, and that really just means that uh, we have to uh, function as our own market maker many of the times. The time, but we are looking to expand our team, project managers, and well, we have one project manager, but uh, we're looking for product managers as well, not just project managers. Uh, we are looking for mainly groups to support operations and customer relationship management. And a lot of that has to do with scaling your company and setting the right expectations with customers. Uh, for example, we can't take on $10 billion enterprise customers in one day. We have to grow the team. We have to hire. We have to have key hires in place that can also hire themselves and properly interview. So we are also dealing with a completely different economic environment today. We are dealing with um, a landscape that is like no other in terms of capital raising and revenue yeah, generation. Yeah, and it changes by the day. And achieving yeah. profitability. Yeah. You know, but we, fortunately, we're in data sets and we can adapt just like we did. As soon as the pandemic hit, we knew we could do two things. And that is short the markets, provide data sets that would help others short the markets on, and make money. And primarily provide data sets that would correlate approved drug compounds to other approved drug compounds and human genes in the context of COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, data sets is a product that doesn't become obsolete in whatever uh, situation. I think there is still a lot of mystery around what the true potential is of uh, vector space. Well, you know, think, about, you think about it this way. We use data to make predictions. If you can predict where a cryptocurrency will trade, if you can predict where a stock will trade, if you can predict a relationship 
a new relationship to an approved drug compound for the purpose of repurposing that drug to solve for an infectious disease. If you can make that kind of prediction, that's what we do. So making predictions with data, right? Yeah, obviously. But I think most of the other people who are long-term investors, they're like mostly interested in when they will see like a use case. So that's a very exciting second half of 2020 coming up for Vector Space as a company, uh, for mm -hmm. everyone who is following uh, their steps. So that also leads to my final question. What event in time will be the biggest driver of growth for Vector Space? Well, you know, I would say that if we were cited in a paper that was part of winning the Nobel Prize in particle physics with CERN, if our data set was cited, that would be yeah yeah fantastic now that's probably not going to happen tomorrow mm -hmm. what what can happen though would be for our data sets of course to be cited related to solving for infectious mm -hmm. disease in particular covid 19. uh in terms specifically in terms of a drug being repurposed mm -hmm. that would be fantastic now, we would also like to talk about what our data sets do for hedge funds and asset management companies, but for the most part, we're not allowed to talk about stuff like that. Yeah. They want to yeah, keep their edge an edge. Okay. But we do have life sciences companies, you know, and, and Colgate Palmolive and Procter and & Gamble. You know, we're going to be talking about what we're doing with those companies. Uh, we're going to be talking about what we're doing with other pharmaceutical companies in general related to our data sets. We have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders and our stakeholders to communicate our relationships, our memorandums of understanding, our letters of intent and NDAs, and that's what, that's what we do. But what we talk about related to the, the details, uh, we can't announce to the public until we have full yeah. legal approval. But like, approval uh, from that, our customer. that's fully understandable, but compared to, to hedge funds, I can understand they want to keep it a, a black box. But for instance, a company like mm -hmm. Amazon. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, Amazon offered to do case studies, both Amazon and Microsoft. And that just means one of their customers uses their data set and then is willing to talk about the world, talk to, uh, talk, talk to the world about our data set. And if Microsoft has an internal group, which we know they do, we've worked with them before on this level. If they have an internal group that would like to benefit from our data sets, then we can do a case study in, uh, between Microsoft and VectorSpace. So it's either going to be between Amazon and VectorSpace, Microsoft and VectorSpace, or between one of Amazon's customers in VectorSpace or one of Microsoft's customers in VectorSpace. And then, of course, we'll have Bloomberg's alternative data and S&P Global case studies as separate. And we're also having a case study published in a magazine called, or not a magazine, it's an, it's a, an industry trade publication for hedge funds and asset mm -hmm. management companies called Alpha Week. Alpha Week, okay. And they're doing, yes, Alpha Week is doing an article, a series of articles on us related to what our data sets do, related to something very specific. A company called Works, W-O-R-X is their stock symbol. They want us to create a basket that we can short and show the performance of that basket. And they want to talk about what our data sets can do. And they mentioned that, you know, they've never seen anything like it. Uh, Elastic said the same thing. So, you know, we're on a pretty good track with something unique here. 
We just need to ma maintain and make sure that uh, it stays unique. So that's that's not a problem for us because you know think of all the think of all the column labels or all the topics in the world. You know, think of all the row types you can possibly have. Think of all the column types you can possibly have. You know, think of all the contexts. Think of all the data sources you can possibly have. Do you want something about trees or drug compounds? Do you want something about bricks or chocolate chip cookies? You know, and what kind of context do you want? You know, and do you want real-time data? You know, how often do you want an update? Anyway, I can go on and on about that. All right. Um, well, thanks, Cajun, for uh, you know this extensive uh, interview. I, I was going for a very short call. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything uh, to add? I do not, with the exception of encouraging everyone just to stop by our Telegram channel and our website and do, do a little reading on the COVID-19 section on our site that we have and you'll get an idea of precisely what we do okay i will uh, add a link uh, to the description all right thanks Cajun. sure thing anytime all right bye bye thanks for listening guys i really appreciate it that you took the time to listen to the full 45 minutes of this episode. I hope you stay tuned for my upcoming interviews and other podcasts.